Hey, everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, sure are tough, but I'm feeling pretty good about my cards. I'm all in. Too rich for my blood. Well, I don't know about you two, but I say he's bluffing. Yeah? I call. Show him. Hmm. That's what I thought. <laughs> Not so fast. See, I think Lady Luck's on my side tonight. <laughs> Wait. Hmm? What's this? Uh, I, I didn't know they were there. Now, now, everyone, let's just calm down, huh? Remember those breathing exercises I taught you? One, two, three, four, five. Breathe six, deep. Five. Count to ten. 20 if you have to. <laughs> Are those videos not the coolest thing you've ever seen before? <laughs> wow. Well, I'm going to start the talk by telling an incredibly old story. I should feel bad about myself telling a story that's as cliche as this because it's been told so many times. Um, but there is a story of a lady who was uh, on, on a flight. She was headed somewhere, and the f- flight had been kind of delayed. She'd been having a rough day. She gets in on her layover, I guess, you know, Chicago or Dallas or Atlanta or wherever. And um, she's in a hurry. She had planned, if her layover had gone the right way, she would have had a meal when she had her layover. But the flight coming in was delayed. She has next to no time. She's hungry. You know how you get kind of frustrated when you're hungry. She's trying to make that connecting flight. So she stops in one of those little newsstands. You know where they, like in the airport, there's all these little newsstands. She starts, stops there. She gets a little bag of cookies. Just enough she thinks she can munch on, get on the airplane. She'll survive, get, down, get through to her destination, and she'll figure it all out later. So, you know, she get, grabs cookies in a magazine, goes to sit and wait for her plane to board. She doesn't have all that long, but she's sort of flipping through this magazine. Two seats down from her in this boarding area is this nice gentleman, a little older than her, and he makes a nice warm smile at her. She smiles warmly at him. She sits down, the cookies are in the seat in between them, and she reaches out to, uh, to grab one of these cookies, and to her surprise, he reaches out at the same time and also grabs a cookie. And she's like, what planet am I on? Is this like the twilight zone? I don't know if you've ever had one of these days where you're traveling and you're like, you know, I obviously am on some other planet. Everything is going weird today. And that's what she was like. Everything is weird today. I grabbed a cookie and this guy took one of my cookies, you know? But she figured I'm just, I don't need to confront him about this. I'm just going to let it go. But every time she reached out for another cookie, the guy reached out for a cookie too. I mean, this guy ended up with like half of her cookies. And they end up on the last one and they both reach out for it at the same time and the guy actually beats her to the last cookie. And he takes it And he smiles at her with this toothy grin and he breaks it in half and gives her half of her own cookie. And she says, that is it. 
I wish this day had never happened. She slams her purse, you know, and grabs her, her carry-on luggage. She's dragging it through the, you know, go over to the boarding stand, get on the airplane, you know, she's muttering to herself. She gets up there, she opens her purse to get her boarding pass out, and when she does that, she sees her cookies in her purse. <laughs> Lady been eating that poor man's cookies the whole time, and... I don't know, have you ever had this experience where you suddenly become very aware that you were mad about the wrong thing? It's very embarrassing, right? It's really difficult. And, you know, we do this in life so many times. Something gets, just agitates us. We get in a snit. We get ticked off about it. And then in the long run, we look back at it and go, well, that was the wrong thing to be angry about. And that's where we're at in the Bible today. We're going to talk about a guy in the Bible who was angry about the wrong thing. And at least in our story, he didn't figure it out. I think ultimately he did, but in the story I'm going to show you, he didn't figure it out. But here's the cool thing. In this story about a guy who was mad about the wrong thing, God provides some anger counseling. And there are some great counselors out there and some great therapists, but there is no therapist better than God. He's the great physician, and he absolutely knows how to counsel us when we're going through a tough time. So while Jonah may not have gotten the point, we're going to try to make sure that before we leave here, we get the point how to deal with it when we're feeling angry about the wrong thing. Now, let me introduce you to Jonah. He's a very interesting fellow. He's a prophet in the Old Testament. And during this time in, in the ancient Middle East, the, the full Bible obviously uh, wasn't available, not even the full Old Testament. So often God would speak to his people through a prophet. God would give a message to the prophet and the prophet would give that message to the people. It carried the full force of God's word. And Jonah was doing this, had been doing this for some time. And I'm not going to say that he had a cushy lifestyle, but he probably had a nice place to live. He was respected by the people of Israel. They looked up to him. Um, and this has just been his job, is to continually give people, God's people, messages from God. And then God comes to him with a shocker. This is not what he expected. God comes to him with an order that makes no sense. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Well, Jonah would never have expected this. This makes no sense at all because you would never send, first of all, you would never send an Israelite to Nineveh. You'd never do that. You wouldn't send, and you certainly wouldn't send a prophet from Israel to Nineveh. And here's why. Nineveh is one of the capitals of Assyria at the time, of the Assyrians. And the Assyrians had a particular dislike of people that were not from their people group and a particular dislike of people who had other religions. And what they would do if they were to encounter people from other people groups and with other religions is they would torture them. And they would do that to prove to the rest of the world that they were a strong people. Don't mess with us, basically. Now, I want to be genteel about kind of talking about what some of the Assyrians were doing to other people, but uh, it's hard to do that because the sort of torture they invented was really, really terrible. One of the things they would do is if, if they were decided to torture somebody and kill them, they would impale them on a pole. But unlike other people groups, they wouldn't kill them first. They would impale you alive and they would run a stake up underneath your rib cage and you would hang on that stake and your body weight would impale you on that pole, you would die. It was a terrible, terrible way to die. And believe me, everybody, including Jonah, knew that they did this. They were famous for skinning people alive, literally, right? So those are just a couple of the bad things they did. And let me tell you, it actually gets more gory and worse from there. So Jonah understood, first of all, if I go there, they're not going to like me. Second of all, if I go there, they're going to do some really, really, really bad stuff to me. When I was a kid and I was growing up in church, they would talk about Jonah, how Jonah ran away from what God wanted him to do. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Why is Jonah running away? 
now, looking at it in context, it makes a lot of sense. God has called him to go talk to this terrorist group of people. He knows that he's going to go over there and get ripped limb from limb, and he doesn't want to do that. So he decides to go the other way. By the way, in case you're wondering how much hot water Jonah would have been in if he'd gone to Nineveh, this is what God told him to do. I want you to announce my judgment against Nineveh because I have seen how wicked its people are. If, if you're God's prophet in Nineveh, you want to stay as low profile as you possibly can. Try to not make eye contact with people. Hope you can just sort of walk through and not get... But God wants Jonah to walk in and make a spectacle of himself announcing to everybody how wicked they are and that God is going to destroy them. Do you see the problem, right? For Jonah, he doesn't want any of this. So he got up and went in the opposite direction. And this is an interesting phrase, to get away from the Lord. One of the... I'm not a Bible language scholar, but I love to read what they have to say. And one Bible language scholar said that this phrase, to get away from the Lord, has basically the same idea of to try to go someplace where God is not. Now, Jonah was like, I'm going to try to go. Right? I'm in trouble when I'm where God is because God's told me what I need to do and I'm not going to do it. So I'm going to try to go someplace where God is not. But those of us in this room who have ever run away from God, including yours truly, I ran away from the ministry for years, you can vouch for the fact that you cannot find a place where God isn't. Wherever you go, God is with you and you're always going to be aware of the fact that you're running away. That's never going to leave. So he goes down to Joppa and he finds a ship leaving for Tarshish, which is legitimately in the opposite direction. He buys a ticket, gets on board, and hopes to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. So this is not like uh, when you're on a cruise ship and the water's a little choppy and, you know, the boat starts to list a little bit or you start to see the silverware on the table start to kind of go. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being in an ancient sailing vessel that by itself is not that great of a feet of architecture yet anyway. And then on top of all that, the, the wind and waves are beating it so hard that it's literally threatening to just break apart into pieces and everybody drown. Well, the sailors are superstitious and they figure that there must be some reason why this is happening. In this case, they actually happen to be correct. Um, but they decide they're going to do a sort of lottery to figure out, maybe if we draw straws, we'll figure out who's really responsible for this, who's, you know, whose fault is this. And because God wanted them to figure out it was Jonah, God let the lottery land on Jonah, and Jonah tells him, yeah, you're, you're right, this is my fault. Throw me into the sea, he said, and it will become calm again. Hey, this is, this is my fault. Now, if you read the whole story, and I don't have time to go through the whole story, but really, when you get home, you should read it. It's four chapters. It's like zooms by, very, very fast, one-sitting read. Uh, but what you'll find out is that these superstitious sailors did not want to throw Jonah overboard. They figure if this powerful God that sent this storm to get this guy's attention figures out that we sent the guy whose attention God is trying to get overboard and killed him, that might be problematic for us, right? So they think we're going to try to save him. They try to row back to the, to the shore, but they realize they can't do that. Eventually they do what Jonah said. They throw him overboard, praying that God will not hold them responsible for it. Now, the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. Now, a lot of times, if you grew up in church like I did, you probably heard this is the story of Jonah and the whale. We don't know that it was a whale. We know that it was a great fish. If you want my opinion, I think this was a one and done. I think God engineered a very special fish whose task was to swallow a human being whole and keep him alive for three days, and our God is every bit powerful enough to do that, right? Now, Jonah was inside that fish for three days and three nights, not exactly the bed and breakfast experience most of us are looking for, right? In other places in the scripture, we're going to read that Jonah had seaweed wrapped around his head this whole time. Not exactly what, what you're going for, right? And then after three days and three nights, God arranged for the fish to vomit 
up Jonah onto the beach. It's a lovely story. It's a lovely story. So now Jonah is beached fish vomit. And God comes back to Jonah and says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. God's way of saying, are you ready to go now? (laughs) By the way, notice that the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. This is a theme, and we're going to come back to it later, that a theme in the book of Jonah is that God gives second chances, but we'll come back to that in a minute. So this time, Jonah has decided to obey the Lord's command and keep in mind what that means. That means that he's kind of knowing that he's probably going to get killed in a very torturous way. This hasn't changed. The Ninevites haven't changed just because he's been inside of this fish, and he knows that this is really bad. But he's going to do what God has called him to do. So he goes to Nineveh. It's a city so large that it took him three days to see it all. On the day uh, that Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. I think Jonah goes in there and says, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. (laughs) The people of Nineveh, now here's what you would expect. You'd expect them to tear him apart, but instead it turned out well. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast, which was a way in the Middle East of saying, we're serious about this, put on burlap to show their sorrow, which is a way of showing how sad they were. And when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes, dressed himself in burlap, and sat on a heap of ashes. To dress in burlap and sit on ashes was a way culturally of saying, I am as torn up on the inside as I possibly can be. I am in the worst kind of inner turmoil you can imagine. And he sends this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. Is this something that God wanted? I don't necessarily think so, but I think it shows how much this king wanted to get God's attention. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, put burlap on the cows. I think this is very interesting, you know? Some, some little kid with her cat. All right, sweetie, let's put burlap on you, you know? Um, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Well, we knew they were violent. That we, that we got. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. And when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and he did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. It's not my message and I haven't said it in either of the other two messages. But can for a second we in 2021 America just let it sink in that God's mind is always open to change if we'll do what he asks us to do? I think we're living in a day and age where we are seeing what some of what the judgment of God looks like, but that could turn around at any point in time. If we are willing to humble ourselves before God, God, God has before and will again change his mind because he's eager to relent, right? So that's, that's for free. We didn't even talk about that in other messages. But he changed his mind, didn't carry out the destruction he planned. So here's the thing about this. As a prophet of God, what better outcome could you have asked for? He's safe, right? What did the king say? Let's stop our violence. And as a matter of fact, since the king is respecting Jonah's God, I think we could just draw a conclusion here that Jonah is now respected in Nineveh. That was not anything we would have thought would have happened. And then on top of that, you've got the people of Nineveh wanting to know from Jonah, Jonah's the prophet of this God. What do we do? How do we get right with your God? This is like, this is every pastor's dream. You know, you've got all these people that are wanting to follow God, right? And surely Jonah would have been thrilled. This is exactly what he would have hoped for. Have you ever known somebody who's always able to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory? 
Jonah is one of these people. I mean, he was able to find something wrong even in the middle of this. This change of plans, God's change of plans, not destroying the city, greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Let's pause the tape for a minute here and just talk about the fact that if you're mad about the wrong thing, this is really weird. This is a human thing. I don't know why it happens, but if you're mad about the wrong thing, you'll almost always develop some sort of weird sense of omniscience. I knew this was going to happen. I predicted this. You go to the tag office. And there's 50 people in line in front of you, and you say, I knew it was going to be like this. I said to myself before I got in my car and came over here, there was probably a line with 50 people in it. You, you try to plan something with your, your family outing and your kids misbehave, and you go, I knew anytime I try to plan something with my family, the kids are going to be like this. I knew it before we even left the house. Isn't it funny how we start to take on this omniscient role? Like, I knew this was going to happen. Jonah's saying he knew that God was going to relent. I promise you, he did not think that, right? He walked into Nineveh preaching that God was going to destroy the city. He expected God to destroy the city. But now that God has changed his mind, Jonah said, I knew it. I knew this is what you were going to do. On top of that, the other thing that we'll do is we will use an outcome that we don't like to justify something we shouldn't have done. Notice that he says, this is why I ran to Tarshish. I went to Tarshish because I knew you were going to do this thing that I didn't want you to do the thing. I want you to do something else. And now you're doing the thing that I didn't want you to do. So that's why I did the thing that I shouldn't have done. And I went off to Tarshish. You realize that you can talk in circles around God all day long. He still knows. He still knows. He figures it out. On top of this, Jonah's yelling at God for all those wonderful attributes. You know? He said, I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, shaking his fist, you know, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You ever yelled at your spouse and realized you're just complimenting them anyway? You're mad about something and you're really in the wrong and the thing that you're mad about just proves that they're a good person. This is what Jonah's doing. He's mad about the fact that God is full of unfailing love and mercy. Ticks him off that God's full of unfailing love. So then he goes fatalistic. Then he goes victim. And by the way, if you're mad about the wrong thing, eventually you will start to play the victim role. Just kill me now. Drama much? I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. By the way, boy, there's something deep here. Jonah's saying, you know what's important here? What's important is my prediction happening. And God is saying, what's important is people coming to God. You know, there's some folks, here, here's the thing. I mean, I, I'm really getting in the weeds because I didn't talk about this in either of the other services. But there are some folks in this world that if the political party that they don't like were to get right with God, they still wouldn't be happy with them. Or if a group of people that they don't particularly like got right with God, they still wouldn't be happy with them. There's actually nothing that those people could do that would change their mind and heart toward those people. They've just written them off. And what God, one of the things God is trying to tell us in the story of Jonah is you can never afford to be that guy. You can never afford to be the person who says nothing that you can do is going to change it. You're written off as far as I'm concerned. The Lord replied, and this is the anger counseling that God's going to give him. Is it right for you to be angry about this? And we're going to spend a lot of time on that here in a minute. Then Jonah, who didn't have an answer apparently, 
went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under. And this is, I love this. As he waited to see what would happen to the city, did he and God not just have a conversation about what was going to happen to the city? I think God has made it pretty clear what's going to happen to the city. But the thing about it is, Jonah has now gone outside the city and crossed his arms and stood there and said, all right, God, I think now we'll see where your loyalties lie. Either you're going to do what I want or you're going to do that thing you said you were going to do. Let's see who, you know, it's almost like there's the sense in which Jonah says, well, I have now vented my anger. Let's see whether God straightens up. And we do this, right, to other people in our life. We vent and we pout and we wait to see whether the world will snap to and align to what it is that we want. And in doing that, and this is something that happens whenever we get mad about the wrong thing, and this is so important, we hinge our happiness on something that should not or cannot happen. Some of us are perpetually angry because something will not change that cannot change. It's just what it is. It's not gonna change. But we are so angry because we've hinged our happiness on that thing changing, but it can't change. Or there is a case like with Jonah where what he wanted to change shouldn't change. God was doing what was right. It shouldn't change, but Jonah has hinged his happiness on the thing changing that shouldn't change. The Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. And this eased his discomfort. Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. And the next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. And the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Can we take a time out here for a second and realize that none of this had to happen anyway? Any any guess here? Do you think there was shade in Nineveh? I'm thinking probably so. I'm thinking that he probably could have been cool and comfortable if he'd been in Nineveh, which is where he should have been, talking to people who wanted to get their lives right with God. Every moment that he spent outside the city was a moment lost accomplishing God's purpose in Nineveh. But he's out here on the outside of the city. Now the plant has died. He's really upset, right? And he goes back to his sort of fatalistic thing. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. And then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? This time Jonah answers, yes, it is. I'm, I'm angry enough to die. That makes no sense. Um, then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came up quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. God even cared about the animals there. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Now, here's the weird thing. The weird thing is, that's how the book ends. A lot of times, books in the Bible, there's sort of a a major narrative that comes to this really nice, meaningful end at the end of the book. Jonah is like the opposite of that. It's, it's sort of like it just, man, it just ends in this weird spot with God saying, shouldn't I feel sorry for this city? Well, I told you at the beginning of the talk, I do think at some point Jonah got it. Here's why I think he got it at some point. is because for thousands of years, the burial place of Jonah has been located, archaeologists have located it in what was Nineveh. And it wasn't just, this was an ornate burial place. So there is a sense in which the Ninevites accepted Jonah back and they respected him enough that he was buried as a respected individual in Nineveh. So I do think he got it. Um, I think either he wrote this book or he told another prophet about it who wrote this book. And so there is a sort of 
willingness to recognize that he was in the wrong at the end of his life, but I don't know how long it took him to get his head straight on this. But I will tell you that no matter how long it took Jonah, we can find the words of God in this passage and we can use them to help coach ourselves up when we're mad about the wrong thing. So this is the, this is the counseling that God gave him. He said, is it right for you to be angry about this? Only problem is we don't know where the inflection in the question was and the inflection changes a lot. So for instance, he could have said, is it right for you to be angry about this? Well, Bible scholars tell us that what gets translated right here, it means, uh, is it working? Is it having the desired effect? Is it producing what it is that you want? It is very much the Dr. Phil question of how's that working for you? God is seriously asking Jonah, is this having the outcome that you want? Is it making it better? Right? So a question that we could just ask ourselves is, is being angry right now, is it working for me? Is it making the situation better? My hunch is if you ask yourself this question in the middle of an anger moment, you will realize that all your anger is doing is making you feel worse. Right? That you start to get that slightly sick feeling in the pit of your stomach, right? You, and, and you start to just feel really geared up and your heart rate is up and your blood pressure is up and it's just not a pleasant moment. And our anger is really not helping us. Our anger is actually hurting us. Part of it is we got to ask, is it, is it working for me? A question here, or a verse here says, this is in James 1.20, it says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I don't know if you ask weird questions when you read the Bible. I do all the time. I ask myself really weird questions. And one of the questions I ask is, why the emphasis on human? Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Well, there's a a sort of theme throughout the scripture that because our first parents chose the dark side in the Garden of Eden, ever since then, the world in which we live is warped and our humanness is warped. Our human ideas about the world and our ideas about how the world should be fixed are warped. And so as a result of that, well, let me, let me try to illustrate this. I brought one of my tools from home. Any, anybody know what this is? Square. More people said it this service than the other two. Props for you guys. Okay. So it's a carpenter square. What do we use a carpenter square for? Right. There's always some guy in the room. Everything. We use it for everything. We use a carpenter square for everything. Right. Well, there's a lot of things you can use a carpenter square for. But um, generally, we're looking to see whether corners are square, right? Inside, outside corners. We want to make sure because if something is square, then it's well constructed and uh, we run into less problems with it. Now, my square is a little... It's a little off. I went through my house using my square. And what I found out was that there is not a square corner in my house. So what I've decided to do is tomorrow's my day off. I'm going to go in the house with my square and I'm going to fix all of those corners that weren't square when I measured them. You say, Jonathan, you're a moron, right? Because... You don't use a warp tool to measure whether or not a corner is square. First of all, it's always going to give you a wrong measurement. Second of all, if you try to fix it with your warped square, you're actually going to create a new problem. Now, our culture, and I've I got to give our, our culture props for this, because in the, uh, in the industrial age, this wasn't really completely understood. But our culture understands now that all of our squares are warped. This we get. But our culture, who has no meaningful use for God, God is not a useful hypothesis for our culture, says, well, then if all of our squares are warped, that must mean that there is no such thing as a square corner. There is no such thing as a perfect standard. So as a result of that, then whatever goes. The problem is, in the real world, that just doesn't work. 
As a matter of fact, what the Bible tells us is that God's standard is perfect. So when Jonah was following what God told him to do, he was getting the right result. But when Jonah was doing what his gut told him to do, he was getting the wrong result. And what the Bible is saying is human anger, when I try to measure what is right or wrong with the world using my gut rather than what God says, it won't produce the nice straight angles that God has built into this universe using his own right standard. And no matter how hard I want to tell God that his standard should match mine, God is going to continually push back on me and say, that's not going to work. If you want it to be right, you've got to use my standard. And that's what Jonah was having to learn the hard way. Lest you think that I'm picking on Jonah, the Bible says all of us have this problem. Everybody has sinned. All of us fall short of God's glorious standards. There is not a perfect person out there that includes the best person you can think of, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa. We're all in the same soup. We all have a warped gut. And when we go with what our gut tells us to do, we're always going to end up with the wrong response. Okay, so here's the second question, or the same question, but just with a different inflection. And that is, is it right for you to be angry about this, Jonah, of all people? Is it right for you to be angry? Did not the first two chapters of this book tell the story of a guy who went as far away from God as he possibly could get, and in a moment of life-threatening crisis, decided to follow God, and God gave him a second chance? Now, he is dealing with people who, as a culture, have gone as far away from God as they possibly can get, and in a moment of life crisis, life or death crisis, they've decided that they want to follow God, and they're in the process of trying to take advantage of the second chance God has given them, a second chance that Jonah was very thankful for when that fish spit him up on the beach, but he's not thankful for their second chance. He's thankful for his second chance, but not for theirs. One of the biggest problems in Christianity is that we're thankful for our second chance, but not so thankful for somebody else's second chance. There's a sense in which we have this feeling. The question here that we need to ask ourselves is, do I have a double standard? A double standard meaning that I either do not realize or have made peace with the fact that I am warped, but this is what I expect from everybody else. This is what I am. This is what I expect. So I go all over the place. I don't know if you know this person, right? They have that warped thing, and everywhere they go, something's wrong. Everywhere they go, everything they do, every relationship they're in, they diagnose it all. There's something wrong with every single thing. And they can explain it to you, and you you just feel exhausted when you're around them because there's always something wrong. And the reason there's always something wrong is because they say, I didn't find a square corner in my house. We go around saying it should be perfect, it should be perfect. We don't say that out loud, but there's a sense in which it should be perfect, and there's a God in heaven who looks down and says, have you looked at yourself lately? I've been doing couples coaching for almost 11 years now, and I can tell you that at the core of nearly every anger issue in a marriage or in any other relationship really is a double standard, that I expect more from somebody than I expect from myself. Here's the deal. There's a sense in which God says, you work on you first, and then once you have you all sorted out, and good luck with that, then you can sort everybody else out. 
right? Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? And the word log here really has with it the idea of a beam, a two by four. I've got a two by four blocking my eye, but I want to play eye doctor with somebody else and remove a little piece of lint from their eye. How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite! First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. The height of arrogance is thinking that it's okay to back burner my issues so that I have time to solve everybody else's issues. I'm going to not worry about the things that are wrong with me because I have way too much to accomplish fixing what's wrong with everybody else. God says, you work on you first. You work on you first. Here's the third thing. Is it right for you to be angry about this? Jonah, of all the emotions that you could have picked, there's a lot. You could have been surprised. That would have been a realistic emotion. You didn't expect this to turn out this way. You could have been happy. Uh, he could have been a little disoriented because, man, I was thinking I was going to die, and now these people are thinking that, you know, they respect me. And there's a lot of different emotions he could have picked. Why angry? Why, when you spin the emotion wheel, does it land on angry? And the question we need to ask ourselves based off of that is, is do I need an attitude adjustment? Oh, I used to hate it when my parents said that to me. You need an attitude adjustment. And you know the funny thing is, um, I never really resented it because I thought they were wrong as much as I resented it because I felt like that was really hard to do. I don't know if you experience this, but when you're angry, it's really hard to adjust your attitude. Have you noticed that? It's really hard to snap out of it and feel differently. Can I tell you what the answer is to actually adjusting your attitude in a difficult moment? It's to change the story that you're telling yourself. You know what keeps us angry? is we keep telling ourselves a story that makes us angry. We keep telling ourselves what it means when she said that, what it means when this happens, what it means when people think this. And we keep telling our story that over and over. We keep rearming our anger over and over again, and we dwell on it, and we pitch our emotional tent over that story to the point where we drive ourselves nuts. The thing to do is to change the story. Why did God say, what about these 120,000 people? What about the animals? What about the innocent kids? The reason that God was doing that is saying, Jonah, it's time to take out the old cassette tape. Sorry, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. Time to take out the old cassette tape and put in a tape that is true. It's very easy for the enemy to come in and plant a message that is false and that is only going to make us more and more angry. At a certain point, we have to say, I'm going to pull out that tape because that tape isn't helping. I'm going to put a tape in that is truth. I'm going to tell myself the truth about this situation. That's what having an attitude adjustment is all about. Now, I, I need to make a point that will hopefully help inspire you not to feel guilty from this message, but to feel like this is a moment where your whole life could turn around. But in order to do that, I want to make one final point about Jonah. And that is that Jonah missed the headline of the story. Jonah thought the headline of the story was about God taking vengeance. God wiping people out when they do the wrong thing. There's a different headline of Jonah. And as a matter of fact, I've seen a lot of pastors and commentators and people who've studied Jonah over the years that have missed the headline as well. Um, in Chip and Dan Heath's book, Made to Stick, they talk about uh, Nora Ephron, who's a, a journalist, and then she became a screenwriter. She wrote some movies that you would know, some Tom Hanks movies that she was a screenwriter for. And uh, she was talking to them about when she first started in journalism class, 
high school, first day of journalism class. She goes in and the teacher says, all right, I'm going to give you a news story. I want you to write a headline for this news story. And uh, she said, make sure you pay attention to all the details. You're going to write a headline for this. So I'm going to read you the same news story. Here it is. Kenneth L. Peters, the principal of Beverly Hills High School, announced today that the entire high school faculty will travel to Sacramento next Thursday for a colloquium in new teaching methods. Among the speakers will be anthropologist Margaret Mead, college president Dr. Robert Maynard Hutchins, and California governor Edmund Pat Brown. Pencils start flying, headlines start getting written, you know. The, the, uh, somebody wrote a very hooky headline, you know, the, the faculty of Beverly Hills High School steps up their game. You know, another person says the governor helps educate um, educators on how to teach, blah, 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 right? All these different headlines. They go around the room, they read their headlines. The journalism teacher gets up and says, class, the headline is there's no school next Thursday. <laughs> it's easy to miss the headline, isn't it? Jonah missed the headline. What is the headline of the book of Jonah? God offers second chances. Four chapters, one message, God offers second chances. This is in 2 Samuel. By the way, this was before Jonah. This scripture was available before Jonah. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we've been separated from him. This is the message that Jonah was missing that God is scheming. Actually, the word is from the, 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 the Hebrew is the thing from which we get the root word scheming. He's scheming to bring, bring back people from rebellion. Jonah missed the headline. All right. What's the headline for us today? Because, again, I don't want you to feel guilty about anger. Maybe you've been angry. Maybe you walked in this room today angry about the wrong thing. And now you're feeling like, I need to make an attitude adjustment. But I don't want you to feel guilty about this because I want you to think about the headline of this story, which is, God gives second chances. I want to believe, and I could be wrong about this, I'll find out when I get to heaven, but I want to believe that Jonah had a long and successful ministry career in Nineveh, the last place he ever thought he would be, because I think he finally got it. That, you know what, God was right. I need to change my mind, I need to change my attitude, and I need to get in there and do what God has called me to do. My guess is that the moment that Jonah made that decision, it was like he was let out of a prison cell. He's sitting out there on the east side of the city waiting for God to destroy it, and here's my gut. My gut is he might as well have been in a solitary confinement prison cell, and it was his own anger that was keeping him there. But the moment that he finally realized, I don't have to stay like this. I don't have to stay angry. Nobody can make me angry about this. I'm ready to change my mind, change my attitude, be different about this. It was like a prison door swings open, and this is the first day of the rest of his life. My point is it could be that way for you. To leave here today and go, you know what? I've been angry about this, but today's the end of that. Not going to be angry about it anymore. Not going to wait for something that I cannot change to change. Not going to wait for something that maybe should not change to change. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have an attitude adjustment, and I'm going to try to get on God's agenda. If you do that, my guess is tomorrow will feel like what real freedom feels like. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful group of people. Thank you that we're having an opportunity to talk about anger from your perspective. Please help us to let go of anger that's only just keeping us captive. Please help us to experience the freedom of getting on your page, getting on your plan, being on your agenda. And we'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week.
Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.